Jude is writing this letter to a church during his time for the church uh, of uh, Jesus uh, to, to this day where we are now. And uh, he says in the letter, if you remember correctly, that he really, really wanted to write a letter celebrating the wonder of the gospel and the beauty of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and who we are because of it. That's what he wanted to write. But he was compelled to write a letter that was more corrective and firm because the church he was writing to had lost their way in some ways or had allowed some things to happen uh, that had caused uh, a foundational problem in the church. And if you remember, what Jude said is this. Listen, um, you have allowed into your church false teachers to enter in and bring their false teachings and you have bought into those false teachings and those false teachings have eroded the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel and in eroding that who God is what he's done and who we are because of him it is now causing everything to begin to be shaky and it's causing destruction and darkness and death that's what he was saying And remember what he said in the letter is that the reason I'm writing you church is because I want you to see this, to see the urgency of it, to see the danger of it, and then to be encouraged and compelled to contend for the faith. He's not writing them to say, sorry, you're dead. It's over. You shouldn't have had that happen. What is he doing? He's saying, it's happened. It's okay. What do I want you to do? I want you to see it, notice it, and contend for the faith. And how does he say in this letter, we should contend for the faith? By making sure that we know, that we understand, that we teach, and that we live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the gospel in its complexity is Genesis to Revelation. It is massive and wondrous and beautiful, and we should spend a lifetime getting to know the intricacies of the gospel. But the gospel is also simple. Who Jesus is, what he's done, who we are because of him, and understanding the implications to that, that we should know the gospel well. And when anything comes our way that is being taught, any truth we encounter, what we bring to bear on that truth is the gospel to see if it aligns with who the scripture says Jesus is, what the scripture says Jesus did, what the scripture says we are because of that, and what the implications of that are. When we know the gospel well, when we teach the gospel, and when we live the gospel, then false teachings don't have a space because the gospel will expose them. It's when we forget the gospel, ignore the gospel, or don't know the gospel well, that we are susceptible, vulnerable to false teachings because we won't know any different. So he says, man, make sure you contend for the faith by knowing the truth and by living in it and by teaching it. And then when you notice false teaching, Man, then you need to make sure that stuff gets out. So he spends this letter unpacking the dangers of false teaching. And if you were here, you remember, he did not mince words, did he? I mean, he was like, this is deadly. It's terrible. It's dangerous. It's in your midst. It's killing everything. Stand against it. And if you were paying attention over the weeks, the feeling, I think, that you ought to get The feeling I've certainly gotten is this feeling of great vigilance and a little bit of, frankly, fearfulness, right? Oh my gosh, how do I notice the false teachings? How do I know if it's true or false? How do I stand firm? You're walking into this valley and all around us is false teachers and false teaching and they're coming at us constantly and you need to be ready and vigilant and you kind of stand like, okay, I'm ready, what do I do? 
If you didn't have a bit of that feeling when we were preaching this book, you weren't listening. You ought to kind of walk in going, oh my gosh, I need to be so watchful, so careful. And then, as though that's not enough, as we got toward the end of the book, Joel preached last week, if you were here, and you remember that this, this crazy thing happens where God says, now listen, uh, you need to stand very firmly against false teaching. And to do that, you need to have a great grasp on the gospel. But remember that the false teachers, though they are dangerous and you should stay away from their teaching, they are also people who God loves and you should love them and show them mercy, Right? So, so we're all like, oh, yeah, yeah. But think about how complex this then now becomes. So what I'm called to is to walk into the world and I need to be able to recognize false teachings as it comes. I need to see them because I have an incredible grasp on the gospel and on the complexities and beauty of the gospel. Then I need to be ready to combat those false teachings when they come my way. And I need to understand the false teachers are dangerous, but I also need to go to them and love them and show them mercy and care for them. So I need to hang out with them and and care for them and yet stay away from them and be vigilant of them and be gracious toward them. Are you ready? So the feeling you ought to have, if you're thinking this through is, "Ah!" that's the best way I could put that feeling. Like, I want to do it, God. I want to do it. I want to get in there. I want to be this person. And you ought to feel like, how long does it take to get a grasp of the gospel at the level that I'm safe in the valley uh, where all the false teaching is? Well, it could take a few months, a few years. What do I do in the meantime? How do I know I won't be pulled away from, by false teaching, stumble over them, and then and die? It's a great question. You should be asking it. And then, when it gets to the end of all of this, and Jude's basically got us like ready, go, be vigilant, be ready, uh, contend for the faith, fight for the faith by holding the gospel. He closes this letter with this little paragraph. And as we get to the closing, what, just to be honest, I expect in a letter like this from a person who's given this kind of a speech, if you will, is this kind of gathering us all up, right? Like you do right before you go into the second half of a sports game that you're losing, but you've got to win. And the, the, the coach is trying to say, okay, we can do this. Uh, don't give up. Stand strong. Hold your ground. Get in there. That's what I was expecting. Gather up. Gather up, church. Okay, you all ready for this? Okay, we're going to go do this together. Stick together. Hold fast. Don't, 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 don't be asleep. Stay awake. We got this. That's what I would expect uh, Jude to do right now, to encourage and fire me up, to stand strong, to, to be faithful, and to, 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 to show God that I'm, that I'm in this. And, and then Jude does this. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. So if you've got a Bible, go to Revelation, page backwards, and the first thing before Revelation is Jude. And literally, we're in the paragraph at the end of Jude. So it's literally the paragraph right before Revelation. If you're on a smart device, Jude chapter 1, verse 24 is where we are. And we know that this is a transition because he, he says this, now, 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 this is how you, this, this is how you end a speech, right? You've done the big speech, uh, watch out, and then you go like this. Okay, okay, now, 
And when you hear a now like that, what ought you to do? What ought I to do? We ought to kind of bend in and say, okay, okay, now let's go do this. What's it going to take now? Okay. And the question becomes, what does Jude say next? And then he does this now to him. Now to him. We read this a lot of times like, oh yeah, but it's actually this giant shocking shift from where he's been traveling through. Not that he's left God out of this, but he's been talking about what we are participants in, our responsibility in this, what we're bringing to the table, stay vigilant. And now just at the point where we're like, I'm ready to go. He's like, now to him. And this now to him does a couple of things. One, it starts what we call a doxology. A doxology is not necessarily what I would be expecting at the end of this letter in this way. But a doxology in the Greek is translated to speak, essentially to speak glory. That's what a doxology is. So if you ever hear the word doxology, it is a spoken glory. You are going to speak glory over someone, for someone. So that is a doxology. And what is the doxology driven toward when we're in scripture? A doxology toward who? God himself, that's right. So we're about to speak a doxology. And he starts this, now to him. So from a posture perspective, and I want to make this physical because it's the way I think about this letter in terms of the call into what we're going to do. We're about to walk into a world that we know is full of false teachers and false teachings. And we need to be vigilant of those by having a great handle on the gospel and walking in ready to defend and contend for the faith with the gospel. And I'm ready. I'm going. Uh, uh, Jude, I'm not going to make the same mistake I did last time and let this sneak on by me. And then Jude goes like this as I'm staring. He goes, now to him. And it needs to feel almost like that moment right before you walk in uh, that feels at first like a distraction. I, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Now, now to him. Turn turn your eyes, turn your head, turn your gaze from the, 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 the challenge ahead the dark valley you're going to walk into, the, the false teachers everywhere, the false teachings everywhere, the overwhelming weight of knowing the gospel and showing mercy to false teachers and not, uh, not missing false teachings. And, and, and stop for a second and go this, now to him. And what we need to do is just this, like, like this. Now to, now to, now to him. And it starts us on this brief and momentary journey to divert our eyes from the weight and responsibility and calling that has just been placed on us by this letter to push our eyes to him. And we might think that it's just a brief, don't, don't forget Jesus. Like make sure he comes with you. But it's not that at all. This little now to him changes everything because of what he says next. So look what he says next. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This is a profoundly incredible statement considering the context of this letter. I mean, it's a profoundly uh, powerful statement considering any context, but in this letter, it is more so. Why? Because this letter was all about stumbling, wasn't it? It was all about the fact that false teachings has come in and we are stumbling over them and we are missing the boat. And now he says this, as you go in vigilant, ready to do all this with all this that you need to be ready for, look 
to him, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. There are two parts to this sentence that are important. They are connected, but they are also individually separate. The first part is the one who is able to keep you. We sometimes read this like, keep you from stumbling, that's stopping you from stumbling, and that's part of it. You can put the keep you in the whole sentence, but this word to keep you or to be kept is also used in scripture as a thing that happens, a thing that God does. Now to him who is able to keep you. What does it mean to keep something? To hold it, to preserve it, to protect it, to keep it. It cannot be lost. It cannot be taken. It cannot be, it, it, it cannot be uh, uh, broken. It cannot be hurt. You keep it. You hold it. You stand firm around it. And here's what he says. You're about to walk into a dangerous world, yes, with lots of things. And you are afraid because you are afraid that if you miss the boat in this valley, if you don't know the gospel well enough, if, you, if a false teaching creeps in and you fall for it, then you will be lost. You will be undone. You will be destroyed. You will fall. So as you walk into this valley, remember that whatever you bring to the table, you need to divert your eyes from the dangers of the valley and the competency you think you do or don't have and fix them on the one who is able to keep you, to hold you, to hold onto you. Can you be lost in this valley if you miss the boat? What he's saying here is you don't keep yourself. He keeps you. Can you be destroyed if you don't get it right? <laughs> now to him who is able to keep you. Can, can this cause your eternal death if you miss it? Now to him who is able to keep you, to hold you, to stand firm around you. The story of scripture, I've said this a number of times in the past. I'll say it until I take my last breath. The story of scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is not a story about us as the human race or individuals proving our faithfulness to God. It is a story of God proving his faithfulness to us. That is the story of scripture. You read it, the whole thing. Even when we are called into being faithful, which we often are, we are called into being faithful because of something he's already done for us, will do for us, and will keep doing for us. And we are told that when we are not able to be faithful, who will be faithful? He will. In our faithfulness, he is faithful. In our unfaithfulness, he is faithful. The story of scripture when you wake up in the, in the morning is not about you taking today and proving your faithfulness to God today. So at the end of the day, you go, God, today I was faithful. I hope you're pleased. Today is a story of you discovering more deeply than ever how faithful he actually is. And you will discover it in your faithfulness toward him. And you will discover it in your failure of faithfulness toward him because he will be faithful no matter what. And so what Jude is saying here is as you walk into this valley of danger with false teachings all around, with the need to oppose those and yet show mercy to the teachers themselves and know what to do, and you're overwhelmed by the responsibility and you know you're probably gonna stumble and fail and fall, which you might now to him who is able to hold you, keep you, keep you safe. You're safe. In this dangerous world, in this dangerous valley, you are 
safe because he is safe. And then it says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Not only does he hold you in an eternal way, but he also keeps you from the kind of stumbling where you fall and you get lost and you lose it all. It's like, no, 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 no. Who keeps you through this valley? He does. Who keeps you from falling away? He does. He protects us from everything, including ourselves. That's one of the things I love so much about what scripture teaches is I am safe from me. (laughs) I am safe from me. Because the person that I am most afraid of is me. And God's like, you're safe from you. How do I know? Because Paul, writing the same decade in Romans, he writes this profound statement. He says, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And then he writes this list that's much more powerful than false teachers. Are you with me? He's like angels, demons, past, present, future, things to come, things. I mean, just, he just lists it out. And then here's his conclusion. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing. You can't even separate yourself because who keeps you? He does. In First uh, Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3 through verse 8, Peter is writing in the context of our future salvation and our inheritance. And he uses the same language there. Uh, we have a salvation, an inheritance that is being, here's the word he uses, kept by our faithfulness. No, he doesn't say that. There's being kept by God's power for us. And so what Jude is saying is this. I know I've asked a really big thing of you. And I want you to be really vigilant. I want you to be really watchful. I want you to pay really great attention. Work at faithfulness. Don't be unfaithful. Be vigilant. Do it. But remember, he's not outside of the darkness in the valley saying, good luck. He's right there with you. Uh, Kevin Dunn, one of our pastors here in the teaching team uh, time this Monday where we start the process of traveling together through these passages, uh, he shared a story uh, in high school. Uh, He was uh, in an incident where somebody did something that they really weren't supposed to do. And this person who did it uh, was part of a gang. And when the police came to Kevin to say, do you know where this person lives? Kevin knew where he lived, but he didn't want to tell the police because he was afraid that if he tells the police where the guy lives and the guy finds out he was the one that told the police, then the gang will come after him. Sounds like the start of a great movie, doesn't it? Except it's real life. Poor Kevin. So the policeman said to Kevin, well, if you don't tell me where he lives, then I'll just arrest you. And that scared him even more. And so he told him where the person lived. And lo and behold, no kidding, the gang found out that it was Kevin Dunn who had told the police where the other guy lived and then he got expelled from the school and he was in lots of trouble. Not Kevin, the other guy. So Kevin's at work one day. He's telling the story. And the gang shows up at his workplace and sits outside, all of them, waiting for him to get off his shift. How do you feel right now? Kind of like I think I felt when Jude was done, like, okay, false teachers everywhere, false teaching everywhere. Be vigilant, be watchful, have mercy on the false teachers, but not on the false teachings. Make sure you don't fall. Make sure you don't, like, ah. Oh. And that's how Kevin described he felt. He was like, you know, he picked up like a little weapon and he's like, oh my gosh. I mean, he knew he was going to die or at least get really seriously injured. So you know what he did after he picked up a little weapon and he was waiting to get off work and basically face his doom? 
He called his dad. He called his dad. Now his dad uh, is ex-military, um, has lots of military training, and as a hobby does bodybuilding competitively. <laughs> it's helpful, isn't it? I'm gonna call dad who's ex-military bodybuilder and bring him here so this high school gang can see him show up. And when he called his dad, his dad said to him, good luck, good luck. I, I hope to see you at home. If it doesn't go well, uh, and we don't see you at home later tonight, I will, I'll send someone out to come and check on you. Do you think that's what his dad said? You all are like, maybe? No, no. What did his dad say? I'll be right there. And his dad came on over right away. And he got out of the car and he went into the workplace where Kevin was. And when Kevin got off his shift, he said to Kevin, stay by my side and we will go to the car. And Kevin said, the second his dad said, I'll be right there, he suddenly felt safe because he knew he couldn't possibly overcome what was before him, but dad could. And he would walk with dad into the danger, but dad would protect him. This is what Jude is trying to say to us as it closes out. He's not trying to say, stay strong, be faithful. You got this. We can do it. He's saying this, as you're about to go into where all the dangers are and the people with all the false teachings are there and the weapons against you uh, are there. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, look to him, have a high view of the dad standing next to you. He is far more than ex-military, far more than a bodybuilder. He is the God of the universe and he holds all things together. There is no safer place or person to be with than in the presence of God. And he is with you when? Always. And so Jude is just saying, divert your eyes from the distraction of the danger. Don't stop being vigilant. Just divert your eyes and remember who's standing next to you, with you, in front of you, behind you, underneath you, and over you. Who is there to say, stay close and let's do this. Now, what is profound about the way that God functions that's different than Kevin's dad is one, was Kevin's dad able to guarantee that he could protect Kevin as they walked through a game? No. I mean, it was more likely than not, but there was no guarantee. To Kevin's dad, who is probably, hopefully able, but that is not what Jude says about our God, does he? He says to our God, now to him who is able. Whatever comes your way or my way, is he able to keep us? Is he able to keep us from stumbling? He is, but he does something even more now that is absolutely mind-blowing that should blow our minds. Would that be enough to stop the passage there? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, be all glory, amen? But then there's a little word. There's a little word that sits right there. I love these words in scripture. Just when you've literally gone, what? How awesome is that? And he goes this, and, you catch that? And, what does and mean? Mean that there's more to come. It's not enough that he's able to keep you from stumbling. There's an and. And he's going to do something else. And this speaks to two things that are un unbelievable. One for us and one for our enemies. Watch this. And to present you blameless 
before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you, how? Blameless, where? In the presence of God with great joy. There's so much here. And what this sentence just said is not possible. It is absolutely impossible. Here's why. Are you blameless? So some said no and some said yes. And I love that because the answer is kind of no and yes, depending on the context you're in. Are you blameless after Jesus redeems you? Yes. Were you blameless when he found you? No, you are not blameless. You are not blameless. I am not blameless. And when we are not blameless, we are what? This was my favorite thing in the nine because you don't know what to say now. Blameful, blame, blame, blame. What's the opposite of blameless? Guilty. It's a different word. Guilty. Like, oh, that's right. I don't know if blameful is a word, but I like it. So if you're not blameless, you're blameful. You are to be blamed. You are guilty. And when you are guilty of something, guess what you are? You're guilty of it, right? You can't just suddenly not be guilty of it. Like I was guilty of it and now I'm not guilty of it. You're either what? Guilty or you are not guilty. Those are the two options. And once you're guilty, that's it. You don't get to not be guilty. So this is what Jesus is saying here. Here's what he's saying. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you not guilty, even though you are guilty. It's not possible. So how on earth is this happening? And this is where we arrive back at the very gospel that Jude is saying we need to keep our eyes fixed on and our feet grounded in if we're going to defend against false teaching because the gospel says what Jesus did is an impossible thing. He took his righteousness and he took our unrighteousness, our guilt, our blamefulness and his blamelessness and he took on our blamefulness, our sin, our unrighteousness onto himself, bore the wrath that went against that and then gave us his blamelessness and his righteousness. And what the sentence is saying is that that work was so complete, so total, so absolute that there is nothing left in us unblemished, nothing blameful, nothing guilty, because how do we know? We are able to stand in the presence of God. And what did the Old Testament teach us? When sin or, or blemish comes into the presence of God, what does the presence of God do to sin? It destroys it, it just does. What does light do to darkness? It makes it go away, it destroys it. So if we come before God in his presence and we have any guilt, any sin, any unblemished part, any blamefulness, what will our end be? Destruction. But here's what Jude just said. Now to him who is not only able to keep you and not only able to keep you from stumbling, but is also able, was able, is able, will be able to present you so completely perfect and blameless that when you stand in the presence of God, you will stand with great 
joy rather than great fear. He will go, I stand here safe in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God because he made me blameless. That's insane. And here's what Jude is telling us, what the Spirit of God is telling us. Whatever danger you're going to walk into today, whatever circumstances, whatever false teachings you're not quite sure you're going to catch, whatever unfaithfulness you may or may not bring to the table, whatever is going to come your way that might cause you to stumble, whatever it is you're going to face as you stand, a vigilant and faithful child wanting to bring your best, awesome. But know this, if you fail at that, who keeps you? He does. Who made you blameless? He did. How do you stay blameless? Because he made you so. If you are again guilty, even in this valley of stumbling against the false teachings, then who's going to keep you? He is. Because you didn't make you blameless. Who made you blameless? He did. You are blameless because he made you so. So if you don't stay blameless, guess what he keeps making you? blameless. It's not on you. It's not on me. This is why I say the story of scripture is not a story of you and I proving our faithfulness to God. The story of scripture is him proving his faithfulness to us. We are safe even in the most dangerous story because he is with us. And what's incredible about this is that this is also the very nature of how he functions, which is what he just said we should do with false teachers. Think of Kevin again for a second. Here's Kevin, little Kevin Dunn in high school. He was maybe this big. No, I'm just kidding. He was probably this big. Little Kevin Dunn in high school and his dad, bodybuilder, ex-military. And what did they do? They walked through the gang, got in the car and drove home because his dad could keep him safe from these dangerous people. You know what our father does? Something profoundly more powerful. He takes us. He says, stay close, just like Kevin's dad. He walks toward the gang. And then when he gets into the middle of the gang, what does he do? He sits down and he says, what's up, folks? And then you're here going, what are we doing? They're going to kill us. It's like they can't because I am able. And because I am able. And because you are with me, we can show them mercy. Because I once showed who mercy? You. You were once not my son or my daughter. And now you are. You're safe with me because I made you so. And so these folks, these false teachers, do they not deserve from me the same kindness that will lead to repentance as you received from me when you were my enemy? So what I want you to do, church is know how safe you are with me so that when we go into these spaces, we can show mercy to those who are our enemy instead of running from them or defending ourselves against them. Defend against falsehood, but show mercy to false teachers. Defend against falsehood, but show mercy to false teachers because the father we are with, that's how he rolls. And so we have a dad that says, you don't understand. You're so safe with me that you can walk right into the gang, sit down and start being kind to them because my kindness leads people to repentance and repentance leads to life. And life is what I bring. I brought it to you. I'm bringing it to them. And in light of all this, in light of God's power and wonder and mercy 
toward us and keeping us from stumbling and making us blameless. He now says this, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is another crazy sentence because Jude, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wraps the entire wonder of the mystery of God's triunity into one single sentence again. The scripture does this all the time. Now to who? The only true God, our Savior. So is God our Savior? Yes. And then he says this, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is Jesus Christ our Savior? So God is our Savior through our Savior. And who is our Lord? Jesus or God? You guys are like, I don't know. (laughs) The reason you're doing that is because you are again forgetting that this is the one and only same God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. God saved us through the person of Jesus who is our Lord, as is God our Lord. He wraps the beautiful triunity of God into this single sentence. Who is the one who deserves all glory, all honor, all majesty, all dominion and all praise and, and all authority? Who is it? Is it God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? No, it is God. It is God, the one who saved us, the one who is our Lord. He is worthy of all of it. And what is he worthy of? (laughs) Everything. Listen. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. When? When? Before all time and forevermore. Do you see what do you see what you just did? When was God someone worthy of glory? Was it after he made the world or before? After he made us or before? It says it right here. Before what? All time. So that's before you and me, right? So on the one hand, what what Jude is saying is this. Because of what he's done for us, he deserves glory and on, dominion and power. But when was he worthy of this? Before he did for us what he did for us that he's making him worthy of this. So he is worthy of these things when? Always. I, you know, those worship songs that we sometimes sing that were like, God made us because he wanted us in heaven with him and because he made us so that we could. And I'm like, God did not need you and me ever. For eons upon eons upon eons of eternity, God has, has, has existed in community with himself, the triune God all by himself, and he's just fine. He didn't make us because he needed us. He made us because he loves us and because... We need him. That's it. Again, the story of scripture is not about our faithfulness to God. It's about his faithfulness to us. And so here Jude says, to the one who is our Lord and Savior through Christ, be all glory before he did anything for us, because he did things for us, and forevermore, no matter what he decides to do, he is worthy. In Revelation, there is this scene that is so beautiful where um, the scrolls need to be opened. And these are the scrolls of judgment to pour judgment upon sin. 
So the question is, who is worthy to open these scrolls and to be the judge? Who is worthy? Who is worthy to be able to stand above all creation and make judgment of what is good and bad, right and wrong? Who is worthy to save? Who is worthy to condemn? And the, and the question is posed in heaven. Who is worthy? And then there is this silence for a minute. And then steps forward the Lamb of God. Jesus is worthy. And this is what Jude is saying here. He's saying this. Man, folks, do I want you to contend for the faith? That was like one yes. So just in case, do I want you to contend for the faith? Do I want you to know the gospel inside and out? Do I want you to do that work to know scripture well? Do I want you to, to stand vigilant and watchful for false teachings? Yes. Do I want you to care and love uh, with great mercy the false teachers? Yes, I want you to do all those things. Do I want you to be faithful to that with me? Yes, I want all of that. But every time you step into your day, start here. Start here. Now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling and present me blameless in the presence of God with great joy. To him be all glory and honor and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Then grab a hold of his hand and say, let's go sit with this gang and have a convo. I am no longer afraid because you are with me and you are able. He is worthy of our worship because he is glorious, majestic, and able. And he loves us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible, generous, glorious mercy and love toward us. Thank you for the power that you hold to be able to do these things. Not maybe, not possibly, not hopefully, but that you are just able. Able to keep us. Able to hold us. Able to keep us from stumbling into lostness. Able to make us blameless. Able to present us blameless able to save us, able to make us new. God, we walk into our day with the desire and best we can, the commitment to be faithful to you, to be vigilant, to be watchful, to know the gospel and your word well, and to teach the gospel and to live the gospel and to walk faithfully in the ways of your kingdom. We want that. We want to bring that to you and we're going to work at that but we are so grateful that when we are faithful to that you are faithful and when we are unfaithful to that you are faithful because you keep us we do not keep ourselves you save us we do not save ourselves you make us blameless we do not make ourselves blameless you you now to you the able one all glory and honor you are worthy I love you, Jesus.
Amen.